couple of weeks ago, I was talking about um, uh, just uh, being set free. And uh, I, w- I called it free and alive, but it was really about being free in Jesus. And uh, that message really, um, it, it didn't um, do enough for me. I, like, I felt like there was more. And uh, so I know we're a couple of weeks uh, past, but I wanted to just continue it in on that theme and uh, hope that you're uh, blessed this morning and challenged. I was watching this old video. I don't even know if it's real or if it's a joke or what it was, but for my purposes today, we're going to just say it's real, okay? But I was watching this old video, and my wife knows that I I watch a lot of, um, like, animal videos on YouTube. Is that true, honey? Like, constantly? Constantly. Says, what are you watching? Oh, I'm watching like elephants. Then what are you watching? I'm watching like lions like attack a zebra. And like, oh, I just, I de- I just think there's a lot to learn there. And I like, I know, anyway, I, that's just me. But so I was watching this old video, and, it, and they were talking about training elephants and how they get them to stay in one spot, like a circus elephant or whatever. And I, I don't even think they do that anymore. But how they were getting these elephants to stay in one spot with just a small rope uh, attached to their back foot that is uh, attached to a stake in the ground. And everyone, everyone except the elephant knows that he could easily just pull the stake out and go free. But they say he was conditioned when he was really young to believe that he wasn't strong enough to do it. And he tried and he tried and he tried while he was really small and got to the point where elephants are pretty smart, and you realize, look, I, obviously I can't pull this out. So as the bull elephant grows, now he's massive. He could easily pull it out, but he's been conditioned to think that he can't, and so he never does. So everybody knows that he could be free except for him. He didn't realize how he just wasn't aware of how strong he really was, and so he accepted defeat. He accepted the ball and chain. So the story reminded me, as I was thinking about uh, freedom and free and alive, how we get stuck as believers living so far below our potential, so far below our potential. Uh, and there's this interesting verse that we're going to get to at the end of Genesis chapter 27 that I've been looking at for since that, since two weeks ago, uh, that, that I think can offer us some insight Um, into how we can break free from what is holding us back. So let me, but let me tell you a story first, because it's a long story and we can't read it all. So let me, let me, and I encourage you to go home and read uh, in Genesis. You can start like maybe Genesis chapter 25 and read up to maybe Genesis 30 or so. It won't take you long, but the whole story is in those three, four, five chapters. So it, it, it starts, it, the story's about Jacob and Esau. They were twins, and their parents were Isaac and Rebekah. Okay, you with me? So what are the twins' names? And what's the mom and dad's name? Okay, so you, you're with me. Okay, so this story of Jacob and Esau and their parents, Isaac and Rebekah, it reads like a soap opera, seriously. It, it, it is legit. It's like as the camel turns. It's like a legit soap opera, right? It, it's, it's, what a, it's a crazy, crazy dysfunctional household. 
there is like deceit going on at all levels of the house. Everybody's lying to everybody. It's, it's just, it's crazy. So here's how, it, here's how it starts. Genesis chapter 25, put that up for me, verse 21. It says this, Isaac, uh, and so Isaac and Rebekah were having a hard time getting pregnant, and so here's where we pick up the story. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children, and the Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb, so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. Just imagine that, just saying, okay? And, and you know what Esau means? Harry. They named the guy Harry, not H-A-R-R-Y. I'm talking about H-A-I-R-Y, right? Harry. So the first one is red at birth, covered with thick hair, like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. And the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. And so they named him Jacob. And Jacob means heel or, or deceiver. And so they, they named him that, and he lived up to that name very well. So Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. Just imagine that, by the way. Good Lord Jesus, no. I am not 60, and I do not want twins at the age of 60. Just saying, yeah. My children can have twins, and I can love them and pass them back and drive home, and that would be okay, but, you know, anyway. So Isaac and Rebekah had been trying for about 20 years to have a child and, uh, and weren't having great success. And so finally, she gives birth to these twin boys, and there's conflict right from the start. It, it was very custom. Understand this, that it was a very, uh, it, as part of their custom, uh, that it was always the case that the oldest son would always get the bulk of the inheritance and that the oldest son would be the leader of the family once the father had passed on. But God had told them before the, the boys were born that the younger was going to be over the older, that, that Jacob, the younger son, was going uh, to be the leader and the one over his older brother Esau, which was a complete reversal of what was normal. Uh, look at this, Genesis chapter 25. Uh, here's some more insight, verse uh, 27. So as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So it's wacky right from the start. Okay, So one day... When Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Uh, Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how uh, Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath 
thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. And he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. So you know, the, you know they say he sold his, sold his birthright for a, for a bowl of stew. And that's the story right there. That's what he did. So in, this is Genesis chapter 25. And as we move through the story, in Genesis chapter 27, a couple of chapters later, Jacob gets the father's blessing that was intended for Esau. So here's, here's the, the customary thing in the day. The older son would, first of all, have the, 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 the firstborn right. So he would be the leader of the home and get the bulk of the inheritance. And then prior to the dad passing on, he would call everybody together. It would be a big gathering, and he would publicly declare a blessing over the, the firstborn son so that everybody was clear, you know, that the firstborn son was the one who was going to take over when the father passed. And it was, a, it was like a ceremonial thing that was always done in public, always, always, it was a big deal, okay? So here you have a, another issue of, of the dysfunction. So Jacob ends up getting the blessing, right, from, um, from his father that was intended for Esau. But it's a crazy story. So <clears throat> first, Isaac, we, that we read, the father, he wants, he, his favorite son is Esau. And the only reason it says he's his favorite is because he, he's a hunter and he likes eating the food he brings home. And, uh, and Rebecca, her favorite is Jacob. And so right there, it's a bit weird, right? But so here's the thing. Instead of, uh, uh, and so God had told them right from the start, remember, listen, the younger is going to rule over the older. That's how it's going to be. But guess what? Isaac didn't like that. He wanted Esau to receive his blessing, which was a very important thing, by the way. And, and so we don't have time to get into it, but it was a very big deal. He wanted Esau to receive the father blessing, and Rebecca didn't want Esau to receive the father's blessing. So instead of having a big public ceremony and a big party and a feast and a celebration where before the dad passed on, he speaks this blessing. No, he says to Esau privately, hey, go, go hunt me some game. Make me some really good food, you know, just the way I like it and bring it into my tent, and I'll give you the blessing. So he's trying to sneak the blessing into Esau, right? Instead of doing it the appropriate way. But of course, right? Of course, it, um, it, what happens is, there's so much detail that I, I, and I don't want to give on to you. You've got to read it. But Rebecca hears about what's going to happen, and she says, well, that can't be. So she, she calls Jacob and says, listen, your father's going to give Esau the blessing, and we have to stop this from happening. So listen, go, go get a couple of goats and slaughter them and bring, uh, and bring the meat, and I'll prepare a meal for your father just the way that he likes it. And then J uh, Jacob says, uh, and by the way, Isaac by this time is old and he's blind. So they're going to try to fool him into thinking that, Jacob is actually Esau. And that's exactly what they end up doing. They trick Isaac 
into believing that Jacob was Esau, and he gives Jacob his blessing. And then, of course, when Esau finds out, when he gets back and he finds out that Jacob had not only got his birthright, but also taken his blessing, how do you think he felt about it? He was raged. He was angry. In fact, it says, I'm just going to wait a little while until my dad passes away, and as soon as my dad is gone, I am going to kill my brother. That, that was the plan. And so there's deception going on at every level, right? Like, so Rebecca and Jacob are lying to Isaac, and Isaac's trying to, to fool Rebecca, and th the whole thing is a schmozzle. But this is how it shakes down, that Jacob gets the birthright because Esau sold it to him for a bowl of stew, and he gets the father's blessing because they fooled Isaac into believing that he was Esau and not Jacob. And so this is what happened. So Esau, and so here's my verse. So now you know the story, okay? But here's the verse that was gripping me for our, our purposes this morning. When Esau finds out he wants to kill his brother, but he's also heartbroken that he doesn't get the blessing from his father. And so he goes in to see his father, and it says he begs him and he pleads with him, please, do you, like, is there not just one more blessing you can give? Is there nothing that you can give to me? And so Isaac, in response, says this, Genesis 27, verse 38. So Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by the sword and you, uh, and you will serve your brother. But here's, here's our line today. But when you decide to break free, just read that with me. But when you decide to break free, keep going, you will shake his yoke from your neck. But when you decide to break free, so Jacob is now sent away by his mother because she knows, of course, that Esau is furious and is going to kill him. And so she says to Jacob, go away and stay with your uncle for a while until Esau cools off, and then you can come back. Well, guess how long he was gone for? 20 years. 20. And that's a whole other story. He worked seven years, and then another seven years to get another wife. And then, he, you know, then anyway, read the story, right? Don't wait for the movie. Read the book. So um, that, the, the, it's right there. Genesis 25, 26, 27. Read it all in there. So, uh, so 20 years goes by, okay? 20 years goes by. And when they finally meet, when Jacob finally returns home, it's amazing. He's, he's worried that Esau is going to kill him. He's worried that Esau comes out with 400 men, and it looks like, oh, my goodness, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill my children. He's going he's gonna to just destroy us. But it seems that Esau has forgiven him, and indeed he did. And there was peace between them. And so all that to say, it got me thinking, which is a good thing to do. I encourage you to do that. got me thinking how long did it take Esau to break free from his anger and his hurt? How long did it take him? 
See, he seems to have made peace with his brother, but he actually never made peace with God. The Bible describes him actually as godless. It describes him as immoral. It says he kept doing things purposely against God's will and to hurt his dad. It, he, his dad said, don't marry Canaanite women, and he went and, and married two, and then later married another one or two more. Just kept looking for ways to, he was acting out of his bitterness, his pain, and his rage, and all of these things. But the Bible calls him immoral and godless, and he never really got his life right, ever. But it seems like he made some sort of a peace with his brother Jacob. But it just got me thinking about that verse that his dad spoke so prophetically over him. And he said, when you decide to break free, you'll shake his yoke from your neck. When you decide. And I, I've been thinking about that for a couple of weeks now. When you decide to break free, you'll shake his yoke from your neck. So all believers in Jesus, we know this. We've been given new life. We've been given new hope. We've been given new power by God, by the, the presence and the indwelling of the Spirit to live free. Somebody said amen. See, this freedom is ours. It's yours as a child of God. But you must decide to break free. See, at times we tolerate things for so long in our lives that they become such a part of us, they're ingrained so deeply within us that we accept them like the elephant when you, you say, oh, I can't do that. You're tied to a string on a stake. Pull it out and go free. This is how we deal with stuff sometimes. It, at, at, on so many levels, right? We believe the lie of the enemy about our lack. We, we're not smart enough. We're not good enough. Your past is too dysfunctional. You can't accomplish this dream, it's just a dream, it's not real. You can't actually do that. We have this little rope that's holding us back, but the power of God is inside us that can drive us forward. And this is the point. When you decide to break free, that's what he said. Which do you believe is stronger? See, it comes down to that. Now, we're sitting in church, we'll say, you know, let's make the pastor happy and say, you know, we know God is stronger, right? But really, which do you believe is stronger? Your belief is not, is not what you say. It's, it's really more powerful in how you live, right? If God is really stronger inside you, if you're really, really set free, then why aren't you free? See, we're defeated so often by fear, by insecurity, by our feelings of inadequacy, that these things have become our ball and chain and it stops us in our tracks when we have the ability to move forward. See, sometimes, understand this, sometimes God removes the mountains in our lives. But sometimes he says, put your shoes on, child, because we got a mountain to climb. Sometimes he does that. And trust me, I, he's done both for me. And I'm sure he's done both for you. Sometimes the mountain gets removed and you go, unbelievable, thank you, Jesus. But sometimes he says, get ready, because there's a mountain that you're about to climb. See, he says this 
I will be with you, I will help you, and you and I will go together, and together we're going to be able to get over this. Because there's a purpose in the process that I'm going to lead you through. And your faith is going to grow, your strength is going to grow, your wisdom is going to grow, your insight is going to grow, your ability to minister to other people is going to get deeper. As you walk over this mountain, and it's on your backside now, you'll be able to say, God brought me through it, God brought me over it, God made me better, God changed me, and I am now stronger than I thought I was. And now I can use this strength to bless somebody else. Somebody said yes. This is what happens in our lives. It's real. So sometimes he moves the mountains. And sometimes he says, put your shoes on and get walking. Because I'm with you and together we're going to get over this. But you see, understand this. You're the one who decides. You're the one who decides when the climb to freedom will begin. You can stand at the base of the mountain and say, man, that sucker's big. I think I'll wait another day. Yep. Yep. Next day, man, now no, she's not getting any smaller. No. It's us who decide. When will we wake up one day and say, I'm going to put my shoes on, I'm going to get to work, and with the power of God and the strength of God, the anointing and the wisdom of the Spirit, I'm going to walk this through, and I'm going to get over it, I'm going to be better for it. But this is the internal strength that so many of us lack. We're, we're, we're so weak on the inside when we're really not. The power of God is yours. And we have to be able to understand you have the ability to break free. He is ready to go with you anytime you want to start the journey. You can start today. He's ready to go. He's ready to go. So listen, please notice... Please notice that Isaac does not say, he doesn't say this to Esau. He says, he didn't say, when God thinks it's the right time for you, he will set you free. He didn't say that, did he? He doesn't say, when God decides that you've suffered enough, then he will set you free. No, he didn't say that either. He said it very clear. When you decide to break free, you will shake this yoke from your neck. When you decide. He's not going to remove this mountain from you this time. This is a mountain that you're going to have to put your hiking boots on and get walking and get over it. This is what he calls us to do sometimes. Don't miss the point. When you've had enough, you can throw off the chain. When you stop blaming everybody else, when you stop feeling sorry for yourself, when you stop looking back at your mistakes and stop listening to the lies of the enemy, when you stop blaming God or when you stop waiting for God to do something. It's like when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you can be free. You can shake the yoke from your neck. See, the Bible is filled with all kinds of promises that we say we believe, right? They sound so great from the pulpit. They sound so great when we're sitting here and we're 
trying to be spiritual. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Doesn't that sound good? Man, that feels good just to say it, right? Is it true? Is it true in your life? How about this? We are more than conquerors through Christ. More than conquerors? Romans chapter 8 says that actually Steph read this morning. We have not just victory. It says we have overwhelming victory in Jesus Christ. That's what it says. Overwhelming. Look, our, our church baseball team, we won this week. Yeah, yeah, but we won by one. I don't know what the score was. What was the score? Somebody tell me the score. I don't know. what. We won by one. 14 to 13. There you go. We won 14 to 13. Is that a victory? Yes, it is. And we were quite happy to walk away with the victory. Was it an overwhelming victory? No. It was a victory by the skin of our teeth. Somebody hit a home run. You know how it goes. But, yeah, and it, but, but we won, right? But here's the thing. An overwhelming victory wouldn't have been 14 to 13. An overwhelming victory would have been 42 to 3. If I walked in and said, oh, yeah, we won 42 to 3, you would go, we crushed them, right? We crushed them. They were dust under our feet, you know? They, they weren't even worthy of being on the field with us. In Christ, we have not victory. We have overwhelming victory. When he says, I can do, we can do, you can do all things through Christ, he means it. He says, you are more than a conqueror, right? You never miss the more, right, or the overwhelming. He doesn't just say you're a conqueror. He says you're more than a conqueror. You don't just conquer. You can destroy. You can really move forward. You have the greatest power available to you. And when you stop listening to the lies, stop making excuses, stop feeling sorry for yourself, stop blaming God or waiting on God saying, the mountain is not moving, God, so I guess this is one of those times when I've got to put my boots on, and with your help, I'm going to walk over and through this sucker. This is the strength that we have. And many of you, uh, you know, I know go, this is good preaching. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's good preach, right? Like, it's good preach. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not like a good, I'm saying that the topic is good, like the message is good, right? But what, but, but. But, but what I'm saying is, is it's, it's not just good preaching. It's supposed to be real. It's supposed to be real. Like we, we walk out and this is how I am. This is how I live. I live free. I live as a conqueror that the things that come against me, right, I'm able to overcome. Some things are easier than others, but I have the power of the living God in me. The greatest force on earth. He is for me, not against me. That he is so wanting me to live free and alive. He wants me to break free. He wants me to choose. But I must decide that I will be free. The Bible is filled with all of these promises. 
How about he whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. You have been set free by the Son of God. Remember a couple of weeks ago? We were looking at Colossians 2. And we saw Paul was talking about what Jesus has done for us as believers. And he said, Jesus has forgiven all of our sin, that he has canceled all of our debt, and that he has defeated Satan and the grave. That's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. He, it, it, what, he's, what he's just saying is, is it's overwhelming victory. There's not one aspect of victory that wasn't accomplished when Jesus went to the cross, right? Which we will celebrate this morning in just a few minutes. He did it all. So we have the power to break free when we decide to break free. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you five scripture verses, and then we're going to close today and head right into communion. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your, I want you to notice this, mortal bodies by the same spirit that lives within you. So this is the one that says, you know, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you, right? But I don't want you to miss the back half of the verse that says, he will give life now to your mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, I'm not, I, I haven't just saved you for eternity. Uh, it's not just you're going to hang on by the skin of your teeth and be, you know, sort of this poor, wretched creature that barely survives. No. Overwhelming victory is yours. Yours, now. So that means that we can overcome our fear. We can overcome our addictions. We can overcome our pain, our bitterness, our anger, our rage. All the things that come against us we now have the ability to overcome. And it says, he's going to give life now to your mortal bodies, right? So he, he gives us power now to overcome the things that we need to overcome. He wants us to have a good life, an effective life, a powerful life, an anointed life right now, right? Romans chapter 6, verse 8 to 13. Look at these verses. It says, and since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin, do not let sin, do not let sin control the way you live. That means you have the ability not to let it, right? Do not let sin control the way you live and do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God.
See, do not let sin control the way you live. You are a new creature. You have new life in Christ. You are better than that, is what he's saying. You weren't able to resist. You weren't able to stand up against sin and temptation, maybe the way uh, before you knew Christ. But now that you know Christ, you have that ability and a new strength and a new desire and, and, and just a new function to live and act in a much higher way, in a, in a deeper way, to serve and to please the kingdom of God. John 10.10. This is another one. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Or some of you would know it to be he, uh, to give us an abundant life, right? That he's come to give us a rich, satisfying life, or he wants to give us an abundant life. So, what does, it, what does that mean, a rich, satisfying life? What does an abundant life mean? What does the, what, like, seriously, we, we quote the verse, and it's really great, and, oh, that's wonderful. He's come to give us life and that more abundantly. Woo-hoo! What in the heck does that mean? Does it mean that I'm supposed to still walk around with fear? Does it mean that I'm still supposed to walk around with anger and rage? Does it mean that I have to live every day feeling insecure and inadequate, that I have to deal with depression and darkness, that I'm susceptible to addictions of all kinds? Is that, does that sound abundant to you? Does that sound like it's a rich, satisfying life? The, the answer is pretty clear. So he wants us to have a rich, satisfying life, not tied up on the inside with all of this baggage. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure, make sure, make sure that you what? Make sure you stay free. That's a choice. It's a choice. And don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law. You have the choice. Make sure you stay free. It's now a choice men and women of God, that you are capable of making. You are capable of making that choice. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to just keep going. Second Peter. Put up the next one. Second Peter 1, verse 3. There's so much. I've been thinking about it for two weeks, but I've got to get moving on here. But here's another one. By his divine power, God has given us Everything we need. Just say that with me. Everything we need. Say it one more time. Everything we need. He's given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. Everything. There's nothing you're short of. So if we're not living a godly life, then we're not tapping into the resources that are available to us as children of God. Because he's given us everything we need. Everything we need to live a godly life. So, breaking free from the things that are holding us, it it always begins, understand this, breaking free from anything that holds you. It always begins with this first step, a decision to do it. You must decide. That is on you. 
It's on me. You must decide. It begins with a decision. And let me just say this. A decision is much different than a wish. Much different. Uh, uh, oh, oh. Okay, so let me give you a quick example. Helen and I moved in, the boys, we moved into this new house. And uh, it, was, it had a lot of trash on the property, inside and outside. When I say a lot of trash, I mean a lot of trash. Everyone know how big a 40-yard bin is? It's large, okay? Well, we filled two of them, and we still have trash left over. I mean two of them heaping, like, like extravagantly full. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Two bins of trash, and we're still not done yet. So let me just say this. Here's, here's, here was my wish when we moved. Man, I wish all of this garbage was gone. Isn't that a nice wish? But guess what happened? It didn't disappear. So we had to make a decision. How's that garbage going to disappear? Well, we drop two big 40-yard bins on the driveway, call up all of our friends and neighbors, we can get this done. And where were you on the day of the garbage day, eh? Where were you? Let me down, all of you. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But we made a choice. We made a decision. We wished that it wasn't there. We wished it would go away. But a decision is much different than a wish. We had to decide to get rid of it. We had to decide to put some boots on and some gloves on and to put some work clothes on and say, let's get at her. Let's get her done. Let's climb this mountain. Let's, let's make this happen. We had to decide. We all wish, right? We, we can wish, by the way, like what I'm trying to say is we, we can all wish anything that we want. We can wish all that we want, but it doesn't get us anywhere, right? A wish is much different than a decision. So when somebody says to me, I wish, I go, that's fine. I wish a lot of things too. But what are you going to decide to do about it, right? The power is yours. So a decision, because why, uh, why is because when we make a decision, a decision is this commitment to action. That's really what a decision is. We make a decision at a meeting. We make a decision in your life. You make a decision in your home, you've made a decision. It's a commitment to action. Whatever that action takeaway is, you're in a meeting and you go, okay, what's the takeaway? What are our, what are our quote unquote, action points? Ever sat in a meeting and had one of those? Uh, way too many for me. But um, here we go. What is, what is the takeaway? What is the action that's going to result from this decision? A decision is a commitment to action. So, let me just say this, and then we've got to wrap up. What you tolerate will never change in your life. If you tolerate it, it'll never change because you're tolerating it. It will never change if you tolerate it. What you justify will never change. It will never change if you justify it. Excuses have never set anybody free. There's not one person that's been set free from an excuse. There's not even one person that's been set free, I don't think, from a wish but there's tons of people who have been set free by a choice and a decision to action to say, you must decide to break free. You must decide. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. You don't have to tolerate this thing anymore in your life. Understand that freedom is possible. Victory is within your grasp. The question for all of us is, what are you going to do about it? Let's bow and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge, Lord, and the richness that it is in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for a dysfunctional, crazy story like Jacob and Esau comes a little principle that we can apply to ourselves today. Many of us, Lord, have things that we just simply haven't decided to be free of. There's addictions in our lives that we haven't decided. There, there's anger, Lord, in a lot of our lives. And sometimes it's, it's real. Someone's truly done us wrong. And we've been justifying the anger. We've been justifying the unforgiveness. We've been justifying the bitterness. But it doesn't set us free. When we just, what we justify does not set us free. And so, Father, today, I believe, Holy Spirit, that you're speaking to us, and you have been ever since I started here today, about that, that, that one thing, maybe a one or two things in our lives. And I, I ask you now, Holy Spirit, if you haven't, would you please speak to all of us, myself included, if there's anything in our lives, anything, big, medium, or small, that we have not been set free from, that you want us to be set free from, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, in this moment, that you would bring it to our minds. You would make it very plain and very obvious to us.